In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are also found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Isn't that true? In fact, Paul would go on in that letter in Corinthians, and just a few verses later he would say, If the dead do not rise, then let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I mean, really, that, that's really what it comes down to. If all this is a hoax, then we might as well just party hardy until we die. Because that's all we've got. But folks, that's not the truth. It's not the truth. And if it isn't the truth, then focus your entire life on this one thing, on, on Christ and him crucified and resurrected. How important is it? It's so important. So important. More than anything in your life. Because here's the deal. You may have good health and you may live to 70, maybe 90 years old. And praise the Lord if you do. But guess what? There is an eternity waiting us. Some will spend eternity in everlasting comfort and with Jesus, with God in heaven. And in a new Jerusalem later on down the road in time from us now. But those who do not will spend an eternity separated from God in eternal torment. Folks, that's eternity we're not talking about a small amount of time. Think about your lifespan in, 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 in comparison to eternity. There is, it's almost like it didn't happen. Do you see what I mean? So how important is it for us to grasp this and to really take it all in and say, Lord, I want all of you and I am not going to rest until I've got everything you want. Be greedy with the Lord. It's okay. Be greedy with him. Say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. Don't we sing the song? I want all that you have for me. But the most significant event in human history and the resurrection of Jesus is a proof that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, equal with God the Father, because only God can raise the dead. Only God can raise the dead. Paul in Romans says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. That means that the resurrection was at least one of the proofs of Jesus' deity. He rose again. And it's also, the resurrection is proof that Jesus Christ, that God the Father accepted this offering of his Son. What does it say in John chapter 10? Therefore, Jesus said this himself, My Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Do you understand what that means? Is that Jesus was not a martyr. People think that he was a martyr. A martyr is taken against their will, but it says right here that he willingly went to the cross. He was in so control over every aspect of his trial and his crucifixion. They thought they were in power. But when he passed and he said it is finished, things changed. 
things changed, the real power made itself obvious through signs, miracles, and wonders, earthquakes, people rising from the dead, the temple, the veil in the temple being torn from the top to the bottom for just a few things. Pretty significant. Turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to look at this passage. We looked at John 19 last Friday night as we celebrated Good Friday. Today we will look at the resurrection. John chapter 20. John the Apostle writing, he said, Now the first day of the week, notice the first day of the week. That's why our calendars start on the first day of the week, because of this. Because of this. His resurrection. It starts on Sunday, folks. Look at your calendar. Why is that? Starts on Sunday, the first day of the week. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So Sunday morning, in the Gospel of Matthew, it gives us another version of the story. And when you, when you look at the four Gospels, especially when you look at the, the resurrection and the death of Christ and the resurrection, a lot of times, you, you, well actually you can take these four different Gospel accounts and they do have a harmony. There is a pattern, there's a timeline if you will. And when we look at the passage that we're reading you know, in John, it, it gives us some information, but then Matthew fills in some of the blanks. There's a lot of things that happened that morning and not one Gospel has it all. But I love what Matthew says. He says, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, the guards who were guarding the tomb, a sealed tomb, actually, at the first, it was sealed. They shook in fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Behold, I have told you. Many people, many intelligent people have looked at these gospel accounts and have tried to refute the claims of Christ. And, and, and many of them who are really honest with themselves and searching and searching and searching and looking at all the details, looking at them very scrutinizingly, like, 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 a, like, like an investigator would look at, they came to the conclusion that these things are true. And when you put all these gospel accounts together, it paints a one composite picture of the truth of what happened to Jesus and how he fulfilled the scriptures of the Old Testament, some of them written thousands of years in advance. And they became convinced, and many of them became born again. Are you born again this morning? I would encourage you before the end of the service, or near the end, even right now in the privacy of your own conscience, give your heart to Christ. It's the best thing you'll ever do. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. I pray that you do it. You got nothing to fear. You got everything to gain, and I mean everything to gain, but you also have everything to lose if you walk away. Very serious business, but he loves you. He loves you. But notice in verse 2, back in John, Then she ran, Mary Magdalene, she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. 
And Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, who we know as John, and they were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together and the other disciple, I love John's humility here, the other disciple, he outran Peter. I love, I'd love to be around these two guys. I bet they were a stitch to be around. But Peter outran, or John outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. You got to understand something. The tomb was opened by the angel, as stated in the Gospel of Matthew that we just read. Not so that Jesus could get out, but so that the disciples and others could get in and see the evidence. Jesus was transformed as he lay in his bruised and beaten and bloodied body, as he laid there in the tomb, wrapped up in the cloths and the spices and the ointments. He was transformed, literally transformed. He rose and he vanished from the tomb before the tomb was even opened. The tomb was opened so that we could see what had happened and we could observe the evidence. So important evidence, especially in this, because there are many gainsayers saying, oh, it was a big hoax. They came and they took him away. Well, you're going to find out today that um, that's really not possible. So verse 6, And Simon Peter came, followed him, and went into the tomb. And when he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief, notice this. This is very serious, these few verses, and I'll explain why in a minute. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Does this sound like something you would expect to see if the disciples hurriedly came in and stole the body of Jesus with Roman guards outside guarding it? A folded napkin? I mean, really? If you're going to steal the body of Jesus, you're going to grab three guys or two guys and go in and grab him and be gone because you got Romans coming after you with swords. <laughs> Not very probable. But Jesus passed through those cloths. Actually, in the original language, what it means is those cloths that he was wrapped in, they literally just sank in on themselves as he rose from them. His body was not visible. It was gone. It was transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And he was raised. His body not left behind, but he was transformed. I bring this up for this because around the world today, there's a lot of attention about the Shroud of Turin. And we're just going to spend a few seconds on this. The Shroud of Turin is actually a four foot wide uh, cloth and 14 feet in length. It had to be truncated for the picture here to see. But let me ask you something. Based on what we just read, I want you to look at that. And I want you, and millions of dollars have been spent in researching this thing. And people are venerating this thing. But what does the Bible say? Look at this thing very carefully and let me read to you again, verses 5 through 7. They looked in and they saw the linen cloths, plural, lying there. Yet he did not go in. And then in verse 7, And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, plural, but folded together in a place by itself. What do you, what do you think? Is that the real deal? No, it's a forge. It's a forgery. And yet many people have venerated, worshipped this thing. It even looks like Jesus, or at least the, what we think Jesus looks like, but nobody knows really what he looked like. But they spend all this time, I got books in my office, at least two or three books, about the Shroud of Turin. And they've spent all these DNA testing, and they, they're looking at everything, and it's just like, are you serious? Just read the Bible. 
Seriously, that's how you can look at the Bible, folks. If somebody would have read the Bible, they would have said, you know what, this is a fraud. Let's just go on. You either believe the word of God or you believe what the higher flutant experts tell us. I'll take the Bible. Thank you very much. It doesn't mean that we should shun education. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But when it comes to the word of God, that is truth. That is the standard. That is the thing that we need to hold to. All this other stuff, no. Not so much. Can it be truthful? Something, you know, there's nothing wrong with all this stuff. Don't get me wrong. But in this instance, believe the word of God and not what all the experts say. And many experts actually refute this as well. So, so much for that. I would like to encourage you with a couple of resources. And, and, and man, we don't, I don't think we have any of these in our bookstore, so don't go to the bookstore today because I don't think they'll be there. But there's a couple of books that I'd, I'd like to encourage you with. And I say this because we live in a time when biblical truth is being maligned and you are being lied to. The universities are turning your children into apostates. If they went into college with a faith in, in Jesus Christ, they, they will soon try to erode that. You need to be sure. Obviously, by faith, I believe it. But you know what? Sometimes you need a little extra help. And there's nothing wrong with that. These couple of books by Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, are old books now, but they're excellent. If you want facts and you want the, the truth about how these things, how the Bible was made, uh, the, the process and everything, I would encourage you to do that. There's also another one called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's another good one. Another one by called Scrolls and Stones by Charlie Campbell. If you email me or let me know, I can send you these titles again. Okay, But I'd really encourage you to consider looking at those things. And be sure in your heart, if you have any doubt, pray and read. All you really need is the Bible. But you know what? Sometimes it's good to just look and see what it makes sense. It makes complete sense. Dig in. Isn't your salvation, isn't your eternity worth it? Why would I just say I believe but not really believe in my heart? Know that you know that you know. And don't be afraid to go to some of these things just to bolster your faith a little. Trust me, God is able, without the books, to give you that. But I've read them and I love them and I really enjoy them. You've got everything. You can count on it. You can bank on it. Back in our text in John, verse 8, it says, Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, notice, so John, he just goes in like a bull. He goes into the tomb, and he saw, notice what he did, he believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the, uh, the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, one on the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Something about his resurrection body was just slightly different than his other body, but the nail prints were still there. His voice was still the same. Because look, notice what happened. So uh, as she stood there, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Well, whom, whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said, Sir, you, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I love the zeal of Mary. I mean, Jesus was a man's man. He wasn't this, you know, you know five foot six guy, thin as a rail. No, he was, he, was, he was a man. He was a carpenter. But I love her zeal. You just tell me where he is, and I'll, I'll grab him, and I'll take him. I love to see that, you know. Just, she's got his arms, and she's dragging, trying, you know. But I love her zeal. 
In her mind, it was a done deal. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And he said it in a way where she knew who it was because he had said that to her before in that same endearing tone that he's always done. And she turned and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, if this, we're going to stop there, but if this event, if it was such a significant event, shouldn't the Old Testament elude us to these things? Yes. The Old Testament does. (laughs) And there are many more than this. But you remember in Genesis chapter 22, as Abraham's about ready to offer Isaac, the Lord intervenes and and substitutes a ram. And it tells us later in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up his son Isaac, his only son, in whom were the promises. And he had And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. And notice, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham knew that there was more to this than just his faith being tested, because Thousands of years in advance from that very moment, on that very same spot, another father would offer his son, but actually follow through with it. The only begotten son, on that very same spot on Mount Moriah, where the Temple Mount is today, offered his son, except this time there was no substitute. He was the substitute for you and I. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Even Job, in the book of Job, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Even Job knew that there was a resurrection for believers. That he would stand, even after his flesh is consumed, he would stand before Almighty God in a new body. And my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me, Job says. At the time of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they wrote two prophecies, and I'm going to read to you. By the time they wrote these two uh, passages, these two books of these prophets, King David had already been dead for at least 400 years, and they were prophesying of King David's resurrection in a period of time yet future to us in the millennial reign. And one of those is this. In Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them. And notice verse 9 of this. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Are you kidding me? When he wrote this, David's been dead for 400 years. There's a resurrection coming for you and I and also for the Old Testament saints. And it's coming. 
Jesus was the first fruits of that. In Ezekiel, he, he said the same thing. In 34, verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Couldn't be any clearer, could it? Ezekiel, Jeremiah, speaking of yet future resurrection for even King David in the millennial reign. And we will be there in the millennial reign too if you're a believer in Christ. And we'll see David. I can't wait to talk to David. Tell me what it was like just hitting that Goliath in the head. Tell me the details, brother. Let's sit down and have coffee. But in Psalm 16, it speaks of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. In Psalm 16, beginning in verse 8, David says, written a thousand years before Christ was born, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Does that sound like the death of Christ? It happened two days ago. We celebrated it two days ago. Verse 9 is speaking of his death on the cross. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Dave, or Jesus, not David prophesying of Jesus hundreds of years from this moment. And then in verse 10, it speaks of the resurrection. For you will not leave my soul in hell or Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was only in the tomb for three days. He didn't go through decomposition as most would when they pass away. No, he rose again from the grave, receiving a new body. And then in verse 11, we see the ascension of Jesus Christ. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He would rise again on the third day. And then he would be seen by hundreds of people before 40 days later after he would ascend into heaven and the disciples would behold him as he was received in a cloud and now preparing a place for us. Are you looking forward to that place? I am. I'm looking forward to that place. For time's sake, we won't go there, but uh, even in, uh, well, actually we will, in Isaiah 53. We looked at the first nine verses of chapter 53 on Friday night, speaking of Jesus' crucifixion in great detail, actually. Between that and Psalm 22, there's so much detail there, it's, it's incredible. It's almost like somebody was there watching it. And certainly the Spirit of God, who is omniscient and omnipresent and living outside of time, could see what was going to happen and inspire the prophets thousands of years in advance to write down exactly how it would happen. And that's exactly what we have. Do you have confidence in the Word of God? Do you? You can and you should, right? And we can. But in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 10, it speaks of his resurrection. Notice the, the future aspect of these passages. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord. It, he was appeased by the blood of Christ and his death on the cross. When you make his soul an offering for sin, that's exactly what Jesus did. And he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. God the Father will prolong his days. He's already dead. 
But that means that he had to be resurrected in order for him to prolong his days. Follow? And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Verse 12, therefore I shall divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. That's what our Savior did. That's what Jesus did. My Savior, your Savior, the one who loves us. Do you love him? I love him, don't you? I just love him. I love him, I love him. And I I love him more the more I get to know him. The more I'm in Christ and the more I'm walking with him and I experience the blessings of God. I love him even more. Because I don't deserve any of this. Is there anyone here? Raise your hand. (laughs) That deserves these things. None of us deserve it. We know instinctively we don't deserve these things. Even in Hosea chapter 13 verse 14, God says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. So yes, the Old Testament was riff with scriptures containing not only the resurrection, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what about Jesus' own testimony? Did he have a testimony? Yes, he did. Like a good shepherd, he prepared his disciples. Three times in the book of Matthew, he told them that he would die and would be resurrected on the third day. In Matthew 16, verse 21, the second time he did it was in Matthew 17, verse 22. The third time, which we're going to look at right now, is in Matthew chapter, uh, or actually Matthew 20, verse 17. We'll look at the first one. Notice what Jesus said concerning his death and resurrection. He said, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus knew what his role in this whole thing was. It was planned before the foundation of the earth. Revelation 13, verse 8, tells us that he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was pre-planned. It was premeditated. God. So there must be proofs of the resurrection. We looked at some of these. The stone was rolled away, remember, and Jesus, his grave clothes, folded in upon themselves because he passed right through them. And the cloth covering his face was folded in a separate place to its side. There is no way that that would happen if you're in a hurry to grab the body. And if his body was stolen by his disciples, why are they laying there apart around Jesus' head? Why was it folded? Someone who stole the body is not going to take the time. Again, there's guards waiting outside ready to kill you for going against the mandate of Pilate. Do you understand when that tomb was sealed, they put wax and they put bar or, uh, ropes and they secured that tomb. Anybody touching those will be put to death. Well, what about the guards who were guarding the tomb? They had to be bribed with money to lie about what really happened. Matthew told us that they saw the angel come down and open the tomb. They had to be bribed with money. And the chief priests would vouch for them that that as long as they went along with the lie, excuse me, as long as they went along with the lie and they were paid a great sum, they would live because they deserved to die for not guarding that tomb. Do you understand? Their life was in jeopardy. That tomb became unsealed, not by any man, but an angel of God. 
And see, that's what really happened. And these men were thinking to themselves, we are done. Our goose is cooked. But the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders says, hey, we'll pay you a lot of money. This is what you say. And if, the, if, the, if your authorities come against you, we'll vouch for you and, and claim that that is the truth. And that's exactly what happened. Is that a proof? I think it is. In Matthew 28, it says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the other guard came into the city. And this is where it is. They came into the city and reported to the chief priests and the, all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And, this, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. And so they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. I would say that's a pretty good proof, don't you? Turn with me to John chapter, uh, you're actually already in John chapter 20. Look over with me at verse 19 now. Here's another proof. Read with me. Then the same day at evening, so that the very same day as the resurrection, the evening of that day being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples stood, where they were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. Remember, he passed through the cloths, and he was already out of the tomb before the tomb's door was opened by the angel. Jesus had this ability, and I'm assuming we will have the same ability in our resurrection body, to appear and disappear at will. Because here they are in the upper room, and think of this. I mean, put yourself in that position back in the first century. All of a sudden, you're there with everybody, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears in your midst. And they were frightened because they thought they'd seen a ghost. He appears to them, all of them. And his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he showed them his hands and his side. In verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We believe it's at this moment that the disciples were born again. The Holy Spirit was indwelling them at that moment. They were saved before then. If they died, they would have gone to heaven because of their faith in Christ. But now the Spirit of God is indwelling them. Indwelling them. And notice... So Jesus said to them, he said, receive the Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But notice in verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the print of the nails, and I put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe unless I see it. You know, seeing is not believing. And after eight days, eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them this time, and Jesus came again, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and he said, Peace be to you. And then Thomas, he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my side, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. 
Can you imagine the look on his face? He wasn't there the first time, and now eight days later, as he's up and they're in the same room together, and he appears, and Jesus knew what he had said. He said, Thomas, come and put your hand in the nail prints. Put your, your hand in my side and see where the, the sword pierced me. Come and look. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. And Jesus, another proof, as he was seen by up to upwards of 500 people in 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry, I forgot to change that slide here. These are the scriptures here. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3, Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, said, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according, according to the scriptures. Notice that. Not something we just felt. No, it was according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, again, according to Mad Magazine? No, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or have died. After that, he was seen by James, and then all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also, as of one born out of due time. This thing wasn't done in a corner somewhere in the darkness. The resurrection was very public, and everybody saw him. Many people saw him to prove who he said he was. Do you believe what the Bible says concerning Jesus? Because there's people today all over the world that are believing in a different Jesus. That's possible. I don't know if you knew that. A lot of people believing in a different kind of Jesus. If the Jesus that you are worshiping is not the Jesus that is revealed to us in the word of God and all of it, then you're worshiping a wrong Jesus. It's important why is why we keep harping on that? Read the word, read the word, read the word. Put your confidence in it. It's infallible. Read it, know it, let it be. It's my favorite book. I love it. I read it so many hours a day. I love it. I just eat it up. And I pray that you have the same passion for it. And the more you read it, the more you'll want to read it. But know this also, the less you read it, the less you'll want to read it. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that. Because I fill my life with other things. I fill my life with everything else but the Bible. But once I come to the Bible and I come to the word of God and I'm seeking the Lord and his spirit is dwelling within me, confirming these things and encouraging me in my growth, all of a sudden, all those other things don't look so great anymore because my search is over. Is your search over? Have you searched the world over and thought you found true love? (laughs) Many have met another and they were gone. For those of you who are older, you know that was a hee-haw. Where, oh, where are you tonight? Anyway. But people search. They search the world over trying to find truth. And the truth is right here. The truth is Jesus Christ. Pilate said, what is truth? And I I wish Jesus would have said, well, actually he did. You're looking at him. You're looking at the truth. Incarnate. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me, Jesus said. Love that. Love that. And even in Acts chapter 1, it says that uh, when uh, Luke is writing to his, um, his benefactor, Theophilus, he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, notice, by many infallible truths, infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I love that. Is there proof? There's plenty of proof. And there's even more proof. This is just scratching the surface. But what's our responsibility as Christians? If you're a Christian here today, what is our responsibility? In Romans, we looked at some of this Friday night. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? When we were baptized, that's what we were baptized in, his death. And then when we came up out of the water in newness of life, just as Jesus rose from the grave, we also arise in newness of life. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Do you know that, that your old man was crucified with him? That old man with the old lusts and the old desires? Is it still dead or is it creeping back? I think we need to crucify things again in our lives to put those things to death our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died has been freed from sin now if we died with Christ we believe we shall also live with him knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died he did he died to sin once and for all but the life that he lives he lives to God likewise you also all of us likewise as a result of these things reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord I love that. Death is never easy, is it? Certainly we don't like to see when loved ones pass away, but Jesus calls us to die to ourselves daily. That means putting to death those things that we know. And one of the greatest proofs of the new birth in a child of God is a changed life. A changed life. Not one that's, one that's completely different from my old self. I don't even remember my old self. Honestly, it's like two different people. I mean, everything has changed. I don't even remember who he was. I look back and I'm like, who is that guy? Honestly. Do you have that same understanding? And if not, continue to crucify the old man and put on the new man, which is renewed in Christ Jesus. Amen? Are you willing to be changed? Some people are like, no, I don't want to change. I got my ticket to heaven. I got my fire insurance. I'm just going to do what I want. You know, you can do that if you'd like. And you know what? If you're born again, you're going to go to heaven, but you're going to miss out on so much. You're going to miss out on the rewards when you get to heaven. 
There'll be a rewards and, and lack of rewards for service and the things that you did in the body. So don't take it lightly. Live for Christ now. And you'll be blessed now, even now. And you'll be blessed even later. It's, it's a, what a great package. But why would I want to live like hell on this earth and then go to glory? It's because of our sin nature. If it's having more of a dominion over you, we need, you need to talk with the Lord. Why would I want to live like that now? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but they don't want anything to do with them now. Why is that? These things down here are going to distract you. They are going to pervert you. They are going to keep you away from him. Is that really what you want? And, you, and guess what? You won't have any assurance while you are alive in this body that you're going to go to heaven because you've been flirting with it. Right? Is that true? It is. I know it's true in my own life. And I felt that way. You play, play around with sin and pretty soon you start losing that confidence, that assurance. It doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven, but you're, you're, you're living in a way. Again, the thing is, if you're born again, that's the thing. You must be born again. Peter said, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world that was, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I love that. Your faith and your hope are in him. No one else. No president. No party. Nothing. Let your life be completely sold out to Jesus Christ. You will never, ever regret it. Sell yourself out to Jesus Christ. You've sold yourself out to the world long enough. It's time for a change. Isn't it time for a change? Don't flirt with the things that you know are just going to be tearing you apart. And in your heart, you know it's true. You know the tears that you've cried over your sin and over your propensity to sin. Why are you walking around like that any longer? Why don't you make a clean break from the world and embrace the only one who loves you? Embrace him. Do not waste any more time. Time is short. We are to glorify God with our entire being. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He goes on and he says, Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God, have, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So what's it going to be? <laughs> what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Are there answers out there? The music you're listening to? The gang you're hanging out with? Do you really think they have the answers? Do you think they're real friends? Hey, when you start no longer hanging with them, you'll find out they're no longer your friends. You're, you're a friend with them as long as you're in cahoots with them with your, with your sin. But as soon as you're no longer a part of that, they could care less about you. Jesus, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Who else would do that? Would your, any of your friends do that? I doubt it. Jesus loves us with an everlasting love, and he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And I love that about him. In Colossians, Paul tells us to put to death the members which are on the earth. 
to put to death these things, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. I hope that's the truth for all of us, that we once walked in them, but not any longer. And I know some Christians that are still walking in darkness. They gave their heart to Christ. It was a genuine thing. And only God knows. And it's not for me to judge. I have no idea. But when you see somebody continuing walking in sin, something's not right. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ real to them? Is the resurrected Christ in them? They don't have confidence. I'm certainly looking at it. I'm not sure. But that's God's department. I don't know. I can't tell. After a while, you can kind of tell, right? Jesus said you can know them by their fruits. For several years, if they're continuing the same pattern, you've got every reason to believe that they probably don't have a relationship. But if they go through a spat, everybody goes through a spat. Do you know God's gracious about the spats that you go through? The valleys that you go through from time to time? He's not angry with you. Confess it and love him and give your heart to him. Don't wait. And folks, we can't do this in our own strength In Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul exhorts us. He says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or drunkenness, but be filled with what? The Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of God, I have no power. That's why it's so important that we ask him. And actually, this verse means continually ask him. Be continually filled. Ask him this morning. Lord, fill me today. I don't know what you have planned for me, but whatever it is, I want to be ready and available. I want to be empowered from on high to do what you want me to do. I don't care what it is. If I don't encounter a person today, then Lord, your will be done. But if I encounter somebody, make me ready. Make me willing to be ready. Are you willing? We need to be filled. Ask him every single day, Lord, today, fill me. I need you. I need you. Without him, we cannot do these things. Do you understand? You can't do this alone. You must be born again, and you must ask Christ daily, forgive me, God, and cleanse me and empower me today. Empower me. But just like Jesus, everyone, everyone will experience a resurrection. You make the decision on where you, on which resurrection you take part of. Jesus in John chapter 5 says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, all who have died, will hear the voice and come forth. Excuse me. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Do you understand there's two resurrections here? One for the believer and one for the unbeliever. Yes, every single person will be resurrected And if you receive a resurrection body, then you will be in glory. And if you do not, you will be resurrected at the great white throne judgment. And you will be given a body that will be able to withstand an eternity of torment and flame. That's what the Bible says. And yes, God does love you enough to let you make the decision. It's a scary decision. That's one thing I wish I didn't have decision over. I wish I was just born into God when I was born uh, as a baby. doesn't work that way, does it? We have to make the decision. We have to choose him. We have to believe in him. Believe in him. Believe in him. Believe in him. But let me give you the bad news first, and then we'll, we'll end with the good news, which I prefer, because it is, after all, Resurrection Sunday. 
The bad news is this. The resurrection of the unjust, it's also known as the resurrection of condemnation. We looked at this and we're in Revelation for a year during COVID. What a great time to be in Revelation when everybody was, you know, putting a hole and stuck a mask over your face, you know. But what does it tell us in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15? I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. This is Jesus, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no more place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. If they're dead, how can they be standing before God? It's because God resurrects them. They all come before him. They stand before God. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. These are the books we believe of the deeds of all the things that the wicked dead have gone through. If you're at this judgment, this is not for believers. This is for people who have rejected Christ to their last breath. This is what will happen to them. And it's horrible, but we have to look at it. And, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades, or hell, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, notice, each according to their works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And so those who have rejected Christ... And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's eternal judgment. But there will be a resurrection for the unjust. But now let's turn the page. There's a resurrection for the just. Hopefully for all of us in this room. And if you haven't made that decision today, you can take part in this resurrection by just asking God, coming into agreement with him, Lord, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. God says he doesn't know of anyone else. All have sinned. There's none good. No, not one. Does that bother your self-esteem? Sorry if it does, but it's the truth. It's the truth for me. It's the truth for every human being. God tells us the truth. People will lie to you, but God will tell you the truth. Don't you love that about him? But we, Christians, the resurrection of the just, known as the resurrection of life or the blessed hope, Jesus Christ was the first fruits of that resurrection. We call it the first resurrection. He was the first fruits. And then we, the church, at the rapture. What does it tell us in 1 Corinthians 15? It says, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as all in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And here's the verse. But each one in his own order, first Christ, he's already resurrected, Christ the firstfruits, and then afterward those are at Christ at his coming. When the rapture occurs and Jesus comes to meet us in the clouds, what does it say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? I'm going to read this whole thing because it's good for us to hear it again. And see, this is what the Resurrection Sunday is all about. Not only celebrating the resurrection, but knowing that you and I are going to be resurrected. Let me read it to you. 
But I do not want you to be ignorant, Paul says, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now he's talking to believers here, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, notice, by the word of the Lord, not anybody else, but by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord in his, at the rapture, will by no means precede those who have already died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and notice, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's a pretty good comfort. At that moment, we are going to be transformed. Do you understand? Just like Jesus passed through those wraps on Resurrection Sunday. We too, our bodies are going to be changed. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50? Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Here is the process of the resurrection for us saints. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed just as Jesus was changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So then this, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. We read it in Hosea earlier. And he quotes here, O death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes. Ah, oh, love it. You have victory. You may not feel it now, folks. You may be getting beat by the enemy. You may be very discouraged, but I want to tell you, and I believe I have all heaven on my side, that God loves you, and he has got this. Everything that we see that's discouraging us, he knows about it. Don't you worry one, one iota. Don't you worry about things. Didn't he say before he left? Don't worry. I've got this covered. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't fear. And think of the resource that we have in Christ. The world doesn't have that. Who do they go to when they're, when they're stressed out about world events, stressed out about things that are going on in their own life and their family? They see the decay all around them and they just get swallowed up in apathy. They get swallowed up in remorse and, and discouragement and they get despondent. Where do they turn to? I'll tell you where they turn to. They turn to drugs. They turn to sex. They turn to illicit drugs. They turn to everything but Christ. But he is the only solution. He alone has the keys. And if you're in him, you win. Amen. But without him, yeah, amen. Yeah. If you are in Christ, you win. You will spend an eternity. And don't try to get through, well, I'm not that good of a person. Hey, who cares? Nobody is a good person. I'm not a good person. Oh, I can't. 
can't believe it. Of course I'm not a good person. I'm not. Talk to my wife. Talk to my daughter. <laughs> They'll tell you, he's not so hot. He's not that great. It has nothing to do with our performance. So don't go before God and say, well, I don't deserve this. Of course you don't deserve it. You go to him and you say, Lord, I believe in what you said that you did. And you are God. You died in my place. And I receive that gift of salvation. It is that simple. If you have to do anything about it, you're missing it. It's legalism. If you think you have any part of it, then you're missing the whole thing. It's so simple. The, the, the most intelligent people trip over this because they want to have some stake in it. I want to have some stake. Well, here's your stake in it. Believe on the one whom he has sent. That is your stake. You simply believe what he told you. That's all you got to do. And you can be free. But don't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus. People say that all the time, but you watch their life, there's no evidence at all. If you believe in Jesus, then you better read this book. You better believe what he says. Get into the word of God. Know what he says and let him change you. Say, Lord, change me. I don't want to be the same rascal that I was before. That guy's dead. I don't ever want to see him again. And in fact, whenever the nails start to loosen up from the coffin, I'm going to be the first one, hopefully, to go over there with a big hammer and add some new galvanized nails into that baby. Is that your heart as well? I pray that it is. I pray that it is. We're going to end here. Thank you for your patience. There's a lot here today. I want to share with you something that uh, Moses, through the Lord through Moses, said to the children of Israel before they went into the promised land. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. That's, the, that's what's before all of us right now. Blessing and cursing and life and death. You have to make the, make the decision. You have to make that choice. Where are you going to spend? Where is your resurrection? Is it going to be at the great white throne? Or is it going to be at the rapture of the church? When you are resurrected. In a twinkling of an eye, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that. And you can too. That is why today is so important, the resurrection of Jesus and his life, what he did for us, and that we are in Christ. Choose life. Choose life. If you are here this morning and you have not received Jesus, please, please, before you leave this building, before you, after, after you turn off the, the video at home, get alone somewhere. Grab someone who knows the Lord and say, I want to I receive Christ. You have to do it today. You cannot wait. Do not wait another day for this. Can I just share with you? In 2007, there were five young ladies from Fairport High School. You remember the fiery crash that engulfed them in flames and they all perished. They did not know. They had just graduated five days earlier from Fairport High School. They had no idea that day when they woke up that that would be the last time they would ever get in a car ever again. 
They had no assurance of tomorrow. And neither do you and I. So today, if you don't know Christ, why are you playing Russian roulette with your life? Why are you playing Russian roulette with eternal life? You don't have tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For all, You don't even know what's going to happen when you leave this building, when you get in the car and drive on Broncroft. We don't know. So it's important. It's the most important thing. Do not wait. Come up afterwards if you want to. There's nothing, I mean, the pastors, you know, if you see people coming up, guys, come up and we'll, we'll pray with you if you want to receive Christ. And if you don't want to make a spectacle, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Just receive him today. You get alone with him and you confess and you open yourself up and you say, God, you do it. You do it. Do it now. I don't want to wait anymore. This is it. Let's do this. Let's do this. Amen? I'd like to end with a benediction that we did, we've done many times. Uh, I know when Pastor Jeff is here, and I love this benediction. And ladies, you're going to have to, for those of you who have been here for a while, you know what it is. It's recorded for us in Numbers chapter 6. It's the benediction of the high priest. And I'm not claiming to be a high priest. But I love the benediction. Let's sing it. The Lord bless thee. And keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. And be gracious unto thee. And be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance. Upon thee and give thee peace. Let's stand and pray. Hmm. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. May the, the very resurrection life of Christ take hold of us today. May we never forget the magnitude of this day, what it means to us. And, and certainly not only this day, but every day that we're alive, Lord. May the very resurrection life of Christ be lived out in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.